Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. I mentioned the booklet that you have, which is the place where if you like taking notes during the sermon, you can do that. There's a place for you to to do that. And on page 19 of the booklet, it shows you uh, what we're preaching on these five weeks. Uh, These are the, the, the five things that we thought most important to preach about during the Let's Go initiative and uh and and we're saying what is our vision what where do we want to go Uh, and last week ray preached on let's go get the gospel that the gospel is the the fuel for all of this remembering that um uh through faith we've been justified right justified by christ and made right with god we've been uh covered with his righteousness We now stand before God as his sons and daughters, fully loved, fully cherished, fully accepted, and uh, the freedom that that allows a church um, to operate with. Uh, And if you didn't hear that sermon, I encourage you, it was fantastic, go listen to that. This morning, we're talking about, let's go make disciples. Where do we want to go? What do we want to do over the next two years? We want to make disciples. Uh, And so for our scripture, we're going to read some verses that are probably very familiar to you. Uh, You maybe, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've heard this passage a hundred times. And so what I'd like to do is something a little different. Uh, I'm going to invite Robin and Miriam and Hine to come up, and they're going to read for us from Matthew 28, uh, 16 to 20. They're going to read from three different translations. They'll be on the screens for you, and I want you to... um, Pay attention to the nuances and the differences between the three. See if it helps you hear these words from God afresh. Jesus did life with his 12 disciples Um, for three years. They followed him everywhere. He went, he taught them, they learned his ways uh, until he was crucified and buried and they thought it was all over. But then he rose from the dead and uh, for 40 days appeared to them. And at the end of those 40 days, before he goes back to the right hand of God in heaven, he gives to them their marching orders. What are we going to do next? Where are we going? What's the vision? Well, here it is. Um, That's what we're going to read. So if you're willing and able, would you stand? And you can follow along on the screens. Now the 11 disciples came to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus commanded them. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Meanwhile, the eleven disciples were on their way to Galilee, headed for the mountain Jesus had set for their reunion. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, though some had their doubts. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. And Jesus stepped forward and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge, 
So move out and disciple the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. teaching them to keep absolutely all that I commanded you. Teach these new disciples to obey, to obey all the commands I have given you. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. And look, I myself am right there with you all the days to the consummation of history. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, um, Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive this word from you, and um, would you uh, help us to, um, as your first disciples, um, go, and uh, would you move in us, give us your presence and your power in doing so. Um, God, would you help me as I preach, um, because I am weak and frail, my words have no power, but you can take them and you can change our hearts. And we pray that you would do that um, for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. All right, would you be seated, please? So it was along with Matthew and Peter and Andrew and John and Bartholomew and Thomas and uh, Philip and Thaddeus and Simon and two Jameses, along with uh, women like Mary and Joanna and Susanna, they had all become followers of Jesus. And along with them, an unnamed number of followers uh, as well. Based on what we have in the New Testament, we can say that at Jesus's ascension, he had no more followers than are in this room right now. That was it. After three years of teaching, walking the earth, dying on the cross, raising from the dead, he had gathered a room like this uh, of followers. They weren't called Christians yet. They were just all known as his disciples. And Jesus gathers the leaders of that group, the apostles, and he says, let's go. Here, here's what I want you to do now. Here's your vision initiative. Right? He didn't have booklets, he didn't have videos, he didn't have special tricks and things, just a simple command, make disciples. Make disciples. In other words, grow. Grow. Don't, don't think to yourselves, hey, this is nice. Look at what you did, Jesus. Uh, we're, we're really comfortable here. Um, this will be good for us. Uh, this should be good to go. No. Make disciples grow. And when you read the book of Acts, what do you discover happens? They grew day by day, it says. The Lord added to their number disciples, making disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. 
Jesus said, grow, and they grew. They, they grew numerically and they grew spiritually. They grew in breadth and they grew in depth. Make disciples. That was Jesus's plan. That was his vision. That was his initiative. It was his plan for the church from the very beginning, and it's still his plan for the church 2,000 years later, from 500 people to over 2 billion followers in the world today. Make disciples grow. Look at this headline uh, from the Tampa Bay Times. Florida is the fastest growing state in the nation. This was two months ago since this estimates show. It's the first time in 65 years the state has taken the top spot for population growth. It's not your imagination. People really are flocking to Florida. You've experienced this. We know this, right? Fastest growing state in the nation. Faster than uh, any other place. Citrus County, um, um, one month ago, uh, another 6,694 people are projected to move to Citrus County in the next three years, increasing the population to 163,000. That's 22,000 more people than when we moved here a little over 13 years ago. Florida is growing. Citrus County is growing. Seven Rivers Church, are we growing? Are we growing? This is our moment. Are we making disciples? You know, it's go time. Christ wants us to grow. By God's grace, we will look back after two years and say we grew. We grew. We grew out, we grew up, and we grew deep. A healthy, disciple-making church grows out, grows up, and grows deep. So I want to think about those three things with you. First, making disciples means growing out, okay? Growing out. Look again at what Jesus said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Maybe you remember one translation that was read, uh, said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so move out. Move out, take the initiative, be intentional. With all the people coming to us, it would be easy for us to be tempting to sit back and not reach out. But Jesus says, go, be proactive, not reactive. Pray for the new neighbors that are moving into your neighborhood. Have a plan to welcome and to get to know those whom God has brought here. Go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus there isn't referring to nation states, to geopolitical entities. He's referring to people groups, right? All nations, all peoples, all people without distinction, no matter who they are or where they come from, no matter how similar they are to us, no matter how different they are from us, there is no cultural, social, racial, or man-made boundary that should keep a disciple of Jesus from sharing the gospel with someone. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, he says, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is an initiatory sacrament done at the beginning of a disciple's um, life. Right? Baptism is a sign and seal of being brought into fellowship with the triune God and into fellowship with his church. 
At Seven Rivers, we baptize those who profess faith in Christ and their children. Um, So just like Jesus was baptized at the start of his ministry, um, children or adults professing faith for the first time are baptized. They're set apart as a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Now, this passage is often referred to as the Great Commission. You've probably heard it called that, right? The Great Commission. That, that phrase was actually not coined until uh, sometime in the 1600s after the Reformation. It's interesting to think for 1600 years of the church's life, if you had said, hey, have you read the Great Commission? They would look at you strange, right? Um, but this phrase became popularized, particularly by a man named, a missionary named William Carey in the 1800s. Um, as he was pressing for foreign missions, and he, um, he used it, he made it popular uh, as a call uh, for individuals to become foreign missionaries. Now, that's a valid application, I think, of the passage, but here's the thing. A church can think they're fulfilling the Great Commission and yet be ingrown. Right, a church can, can think they're fulfilling the Great Commission, but yet not be growing out, right? Because we support missionaries. We, uh, we, we'll, we'll send one every now and then, um, but we're not willing to move out to the people around us. Um, you see, Jesus' words are not just for a few people who go overseas. Jesus doesn't want a church that sends missionaries. He wants a whole church that is on mission, Do you understand the difference? Not just a church that sends missionaries, but a church that's missional. Um, Everyone in the church is called to make disciples. If you are a Christian, then you are a disciple. And all of life is an opportunity for you to go, to move out. Um, In Matthew 9, Jesus uh, said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into his harvest. And I always read that passage as a Christian thinking, uh, praying, God, would you please send more laborers? Would you send more missionaries out into the world? Would you send someone to go and um, uh, preach the gospel and and, uh, share the faith? But... In Matthew, do you know what happens right after Jesus tells them to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers? The very next verse, it says, Jesus sent them out, right? Pray to the Lord of the harvest for people to be sent out. Oh, by the way, that's you, right? Um, Here you go. Uh, The harvest in Citrus County is plentiful, And Jesus Christ, the Lord of the harvest, says, go. Every time you pray the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, you are praying, here I am, Lord, send me. And so don't be surprised when the king enlists you to be his ambassador. Making disciples means growing out. Jesus said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also. And the way that Jesus brings in his sheep is by sending us out. He brings them in by our going out, by our living and talking with people until they believe and decide to be baptized into the church. Or in the case of covenant children, they decide to own their baptism. 
Now, you might be thinking, this all sounds like a lot of pressure. I mean, I, like, I, don't, I don't know what to say. I don't, I'm not gifted in evangelism. Um, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a reference to Daniel 7 in the Old Testament, a prophecy about him. It says in Daniel 7, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I am the CEO of the universe. I am in complete charge around here. Listen, you can't open someone's eyes. You can't change someone's heart, but Jesus can. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. So go. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In a church that just sends missionaries, only a few who have a particular temperament or gifting participate in the Great Commission. But in a missional church, everyone is a part of the Great Commission, and everyone contributes their own unique gifts to the whole enterprise. I will build my church. I will do it. The gates of hell will not stop it. it made me think of, um, we had these passes one year to... Um, SeaWorld and Aquatica and, and the, at the water park, they have, uh, they have a lazy river and then they have this cool thing called the rapid river. And the rapid river is way better than the lazy river. Uh, the rapid river has these jets and, and these rapids and they shoot you through and, and you're just flying around. And um, my kids love getting into the, the rapid river. And, uh, and I've got three of them. So trying to keep track of three of them going as, you know, nine to impossible because they get separated. And, and so I'm trying to, um, at times, stay in one spot so that they can catch up to me or whatever. And if you've ever tried to do that in like a rapid river, it's hard. It's, I mean, you're like, you know, bracing against this water and you're holding onto the wall and, you know, um, and so you're resisting, right? It would be much easier and it's a whole lot more fun if you just grab a tube and jump on right? Don't resist. It's going. Just hop on and enjoy the ride. So Jesus said, I will build my church. Jesus doesn't need us to make disciples. He doesn't need us. He can call anyone he wants, anytime he wants, in any way he wants, and they will drop everything and come. He doesn't need us, but how amazing is it that he chooses to use us? And how much fun is it that we can just grab a floaty and catch the, the river? I'm building my church. Hop on. Relax. Enjoy the ride. Let's go. You know, we, we have um, a, a ton of people joining the church this afternoon. I think somewhere between 40 and 60 new members. And many of those people are professing faith in Jesus for the very first time in a church. 
Some of them came here from other places where they thought they were Christians. They thought they, but they really were just trying to be good enough for God. And now they've heard the gospel and they're putting their trust in Jesus. And it's beautiful, right? Jesus is building his church. And in all the various backgrounds that they're coming from and all the different talents and temperaments and giftings that they're bringing, and we just get to just watch. Like, we get, to, we get to participate in this. What a privilege that God allows us to be a part of his building, his church. Making disciples means we grow out by bringing new people into the family of God. And notice that Jesus, um, he doesn't stop there, though, with that. He, he goes on. He says, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them, He says, but then teach them. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus said, make disciples. He he didn't say make converts, right? Jesus doesn't say make members or make donors. He doesn't say make patrons of Christianity. He says, make disciples. And so that's the second point. A disciple-making church grows out, and a disciple-making church also grows up. Um, Evangelism must lead to education. Baptism should lead to catechism. Because a disciple is a learner. A disciple is a, a pupil. Followers of Jesus are students in his school of discipleship. You know, when you have uh, little kids and you take them to the doctor, you know, for these checkups and, and visits, every time you go, they'll plot, they'll take the kid's weight and height, and uh, they'll plot that on a growth chart. Right? And you can watch the progress of your kid's growth. And they do that because if they get to a point where they start doing that and their growth is flatlined, right? Like they're six or seven and they're not growing then as a parent and as, as a physician, you get worried, right? Because that's not normal. That's not healthy. This kid should be growing. So you pour everything you have into trying to figure out how to help this child grow. Do we have that same mentality about our spiritual lives? We must grow. God wants us to grow up. Um, you know, the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 4 about this calling as disciples to grow up. He said that we are, our goal is to attain to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Grow up, Jesus says to his disciples. Two things we need to remember about discipleship, about growing up. Um, One is that we see is that discipleship is lifelong. You never graduate from the school of Jesus. Spiritual transformation is a lifelong process. Discipleship is about being mentored, being apprenticed in the ways of Christ, and that takes time. It's why there is a Seven Rivers Christian School. 
Uh, it's why there is a uh, children's ministry and youth ministry and camp. It's why we have Wednesday night classes and Thursday morning women's studies and men's retreats and the summer conference, right? Because from uh, birth all the way to death, we are in the school of discipleship with Jesus. We are called to grow, and that never ends. Discipleship is lifelong, and discipleship also involves accountability. Because Jesus said, teach them to observe, to keep, to obey all that I have commanded you. James, the brother of Jesus, said, don't be just hearers of the word, but be doers. Uh, And what are we to do? Well, he says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. All that Jesus has commanded, not some of what he commanded, not his commands that we like or the ones that uh, make sense to us or the ones that we find easier to follow than others, but all of them. Um, This is why discipleship involves accountability. It requires a community. Left to ourselves, we will always minimize the radical call of discipleship. Um, In his uh, book, The Cost of Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously described the difference between what he called cheap grace and costly grace. This is what he said. He said, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. You were bought at a price, and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life but delivered him up for us. Grace is costly because it compels a man to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. It is grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Costly grace means being in relationships of accountability with other disciples. It means having brothers or sisters in your life who will ask you the hard questions. That's why we have small groups, right? Because it's not just learning what Jesus commanded, it's observing what he commanded. Jesus wants all of you. Sometimes uh, when we do these initiatives in the past, we've called them campaigns. Um, someone will, will say when it, when it comes along, see, I knew it, the church just wants my money. And we say to them, listen, don't sell us so short. Jesus doesn't want just your money. He wants everything. He wants all of you. That's what it means to be his disciple. Um, He wants you to grow up into maturity, into the full stature of his likeness, to be like him in every way. 
If you want a challenge, take the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus said, teach them to observe all that I have commanded. Well, what, what, what's he referring to? Well, one of the things he's referring to is his teaching in Matthew. Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. You can take that and ask another disciple to read it with you. Get together once a week and ask each other, how are you doing? Not just understanding it, but living it out. Encourage one another, pray for one another, spur one another on, give grace to one another. That's what Paul meant when he said, speaking the truth in love, we grow up into Christ in every way. That this whole body joined together, when it's equipped, when it's working properly, it builds itself up in love. We have this great tradition that uh, Seven Rivers Christian School seniors, they go on a, a week-long mission trip and, uh, and so when they leave, the whole school uh, comes out, like, you know, preschool, kindergarten, all the way up to 11th grade, they come out and they gather around, and you can't even see all the kids in this picture, they gather around the bus where, and this happened this week, as the seniors were leaving, and, uh, and they, they cheer them on, and they make signs uh, in their classrooms, and um, and so these seniors, right, are being sent out on mission with the encouragement and the support and the cheering on of their classmates. And they, they ride out, they rode out this year with a police escort, right, out onto 44. It was beautiful. And that's what Jesus calls us to, um, that we cheer each other on as we go on mission together. We take responsibility to prepare one another for, for glory. We help each other. We hold each other accountable. We grow up together. Discipleship means growing up. But Jesus knows that we can't do it perfectly. He knows that we will never keep all of his commands. We never stop being dependent on his grace and mercy. So that brings us to the last point. All of this is impossible to grow out, to grow up. We will never make disciples in those ways unless we first grow deep. We must grow deep. Our main goal as a church over the next two years is to grow deeper into the love of Jesus. That's our main goal. That's what we're shooting for. If we get nothing else, we must have that. We must grow deeper into Jesus to know his grace his grace that doesn't just save us, but also sanctifies us. To experience his love, not only as the jumper cables to get the Christian life started, but the engine to keep the Christian life going. I just love how, if you look, look at this passage again in these verses, Jesus' grace and love just leap off the page. Um, it says there, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, and he gives them this commission, and then says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The 11 disciples, how does that sound to you? It should sound off. Why? Because there's supposed to be 12. There were supposed to be 12, but there weren't. There were 11, right? One had betrayed Jesus. Judas had given him up and then hung himself 
Peter had denied Christ and uh, run away. His other disciples had left him in his moment of need. Eleven disciples. That's what Jesus had to work with. Frederick Dale Bruner writes, the number 11 limps. The church that Jesus sends into the world is 11-ish, imperfect, fallible. Yet Jesus uses this imperfect church to do his perfect work. Here's what I know about Seven Rivers Church. Seven Rivers Church is wonderful. Seven Rivers Church is great. Seven Rivers Church is 11-ish. <laughs> and we will always be 11-ish, right? We will always be what the apostle calls, we will always have this treasure in jars of clay. In the ancient world, who puts a treasure in a clay jar, something so breakable and fragile uh, and, and, and not expensive, you know, common? Jesus does. He puts his salvation, his gospel message in 11-ish people, in jars of clay. He says, to show that the surpassing power belongs to who? To God and not to us. You look again at the verse, it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him. Yay, but some doubted, boo. Right? Like, what happened? says some doubted. That word doubted in the Greek might be better translated hesitated. Some hesitated. Why would some have doubted or hesitated? I think because they knew that they weren't worthy of what Jesus was going to say next. They knew what they had done. Have you ever thought, how could God ever use me? a broken, sinful, sometimes worshiping, sometimes doubting disciple. I mean, here's the resurrected Lord standing right there in front of them. And what is to keep Jesus from just saying, I'm done with you guys. Doubting, right, really, right now in this moment? I, okay, I'm done with you. But what does the text say? It says, and Jesus came and said to them. One translation that we read said, Jesus stepped forward. Jesus didn't step back from them in their moment of doubt and hesitation. He stepped toward them. Jesus is always stepping toward us, always moving toward us, undeterred by our protestations that we're not good enough. He knows we're not good enough. That's the point. And after giving them their great commission, he gives them an even greater promise. His very last words, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The gospel of Matthew begins and ends with the very same promise. You shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Being a disciple of Jesus means growing deeper and deeper into the reality that Jesus promises to be with us irrespective of our successes and failures. Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. In his book, Deeper, Real Change for Real Sinners, Dane Ortland writes this. He says, 
Jesus binds himself to his people. No expiration date, no end of the road. Our side of the commitment will falter and stumble, but his never does. We will not grow in Christ if we view his presence and favor as a ticking clock, ready for an alarm to go off once we fail him enough. We can flourish into deeper health only as the truth settles over us that once Jesus has brought us to himself, he will never be looking for an off-ramp. He will stick by us to the end. In that knowledge, we calm down and begin to flourish because it has been settled in our hearts that we cannot sin our way out of the grip of Jesus. I'm with you. The disciples, they leave this mountaintop experience with Jesus and they uh, receive the promised Holy Spirit at Pentecost and then they start doing what Jesus said. They start making disciples and they create an uproar and the religious authorities arrest them and they're brought before them and in Acts chapter four, it says this, now when those religious authorities saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's your ultimate calling as a disciple, to be with Jesus. Because you're just like the disciples. We're not that impressive. We're not that smart. We're always 11-ish. But what Jesus commands, he also enables. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I am with you always to the end of the age. So let's go. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are building your church. And nothing will stop you from building your church. And we just want to jump in the river. And so we thank you that you use us, that you're pleased to use us because we are broken, fallible, jars of clay. But what joy we get when we get caught up in your mission. Thank you that you are with us and we praise you because you have all authority and power. And so we're excited to go with you wherever you would send us, even Citrus County, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.